Hello, church. Today's scripture reading is 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 17, 17 through 27. Now Saul called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Metrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the king of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Did you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. Then Samuel told the people the rights and the duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor, whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you. Good morning. I'm sorry. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Uh, great to be here. Uh, my name is Marcus, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption. If this is your first time or you're new to the congregation, uh, welcome. Uh, welcome to Redemption. I, if you need a Bible, we're going to enter into the Word of God right now. If you need a Bible... The ushers will come down the sides and give you one. It is our gift to you, um, so you can follow along in the in the service. You can follow along in the sermon if you haven't brought one. Uh, please take that as a gift from the church to you this morning. Um, I'll open us in a word of prayer, and then we will dive in for the next twenty or so minutes. Um, I pray that God uses my voice uh, to get through to your ears and the path, creates a pathway to your heart and mind this morning. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are in the city of Tucson worshiping in this place. It's no accident that you brought us together here this morning. I pray that even if there's one person in the congregation this morning that needs to hear your voice in a fresh way, that they hear that 
um, that they hear from you through uh, my voice. Lord, may you use the time and the Holy Spirit to minister to Christians and non-Christians alike, seekers, uh, people who are searching for the Lord, coming back to the Lord, or wanting strength from the Lord this morning. Lord, we thank you for where we are. We thank you for your word, and may it go forth and not return void to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I always remind you when I start, most of you now could probably say it by heart, but James chapter 3 verse 1 says to every preacher that not many of us should strive to be teachers because teachers will be judged more harshly, some, some translations say more strictly for what we do in the pulpit of God. That verse I take extremely seriously as I prepare um, the sermons that I preach, the talks that I give, everything else, because I know that at some point in my life, when I breathe my last breath, I will stand before God and give account for what I'm going to do in the next 30 minutes. Are you with me? This morning we're in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 17 to 27. Thank you, Carissa, for reading. Uh, it is a narrative uh, of the kind of the rise of King Saul. I've titled this exchange between you and I this morning, Looking for Safety and Security in the Wrong Places. Looking for safety and security in the wrong places. As we go on, I will replace safety and security with a number of things that we look to, we look for in the wrong places. Every once in a while when I'm praying to the Lord, you would imagine as a pastor, you probably think, I hope you don't think this, but maybe you do and maybe it's okay, that my prayers are often not as clean and as unselfish as we would hope. We are in, if you can imagine yourself in this scenario, Maybe you are praying and asking, and God, you are asking God to answer a particular prayer for you. And if you were in total control of your life and your existence, and whatever you wanted, whatever you had the ability to acquire, and whatever you thought would be good for your life, God gave you. Whatever you could wish for, whatever you prayed for, God gave you. If you had that position... My question to you this morning is, how good would your life be? Or should I say, how bad would your life be? If every wish, every prayer, God answered in your favor. For the next month or so, we're reading through the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, and observing and learning from the life of a man named Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. And in, through his life, we will see a number of things that we can learn from, but also be cautious of. On the B-roll, kind of in the background of this, is the people of Israel running concurrently with the story of King Saul. Saul, like most prominent characters in the Bible, are well-rounded people, uh, meaning if you read them correctly, you see them in their fullness, 
then they do not quite fit into the hero or villain narrative that we'd like to see our people in life cover. With the exception of a few people who were completely obedient and faithful to God, I'm thinking of people like Joseph or Job or Daniel, most of the prominent Bible characters are ordinary people like you and I. We see their flaws. As my professor used to say, we see them with their warts and all. We see their sins. We see their insecurity. We see this because this allows us to see that God's grace and power uses ordinary people more clearly. I want you to think of Jonah, Moses, Rahab, Jacob, Esther, Noah, all had some flaws, yet God used them. So when we encounter the first king of Israel, we are tempted to compare him to other people in the Bible. We are, we're tempted always to compare him with David or Solomon, the other kings that came after him. David, by the way, was another flawed character. But when we weigh the scales, we often think Saul is needing and David is more righteous. We want to place Saul in a general bucket of a villain. But might I suggest to you this morning that our spiritual connection with Saul's sinful behavior is more connected than David's righteousness. We are more connected to Saul's behavior than David's righteousness. As Jake preached last week, we covered the historical background, so I won't spend too much time there this morning. It's very important to keep in mind that God's sovereignty in our prayers and wishes. God works despite our wishes, our plans, our demands, our decisions, our prayers. Somewhere in the great drama of Scripture, in our world, there is a God who is working to see that his purpose works through despite our plans and prayers. Everyone in this great universe is subject to God's sovereignty. This morning, I'm going to walk through kind of three really easy points we're going to walk through. The first one is God's plan versus God's purpose versus our plans. The second one we'll walk through is the people, how the people react to God. And then we'll talk about King Saul, and then we will close out this morning. The sovereignty of God is a topic that uh, theologians have written numbers, hundreds of thousands of pages on over the years to express how God somehow controls the destiny of all of us, yet gives us kind of an ability to step into that through prayer, to step into that through walking with him, right? Christians will refer to this as God's sovereignty. God, as creator of heaven and earth, has the right to exercise ruling over his people, over his creation. Revelation 21 says this, God is above all things and before all things. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is immortal. He is present everywhere so that everyone can know him. Colossians 1.16 says, God created all things and holds all things together, both in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible. Romans 11.33 says, God knows all things past, present, and future. There is no limit to his knowledge. For God knows everything completely before it even happened. When I was growing up, my uncles used to say this, and I used to laugh, but they, they were actually on to something really basics. They used to say, 
God is playing chess, not checkers, young fella. And they're right. It's a simpler way to put it. The Israelites in the book of Samuel want a king. Pick me up in verse 17. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourself before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. People want a king. The thing is, with God's sovereignty, God says, okay, I will give you a king. But let me remind you, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, God predicted that they would ask for such a thing. That God saw it coming in his ever-present knowledge. He said, there will come a time when you will want a king over you. God knows that the people will get to this point where they desire a king like everyone else. God knows our hearts. He made us. He said, you will do this. You will want a king. This is not God, by the way, being vindictive and saying, well, this is what you want? Go get it. That's not what God is saying. He gives them the desires of their heart. Wanting a king, after all, is not a bad thing. Rejecting God for that king is a terrible thing. For those of you who have kids, you know this. Our children, and, 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 and we all as parents, have the greatest plans for our children. We want them to follow in a way that we sometimes want them to go. We have good plans for them. The Bible says, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, that which one of you as parents, if a child asks for bread, will give them a stone? God gives them what they want. He gives them a king. People want a king like the nations. But they are selecting the king based on the wrong attributes. They are looking for safety and salvation in the wrong place. See, in this era of, 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 of history, there are kingdoms that surround the Israelites at this point. The Ammonites, the Kenites, all the ites are around them. And all of these kingdoms have kings. And their kings are mighty kings. Their kings have a measure of divinity in them, meaning when you become a king, the people look at you not only as a king, but as a god as well. So the people of Israel are seeing all the other nations that want a king and say, oh, I, we want that too. I want you to picture what God is saying. They're desiring not only a king, but they're desiring, desiring a god. Because in, 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 this, in this political, social, political milieu that they're in, what happens is that when a kingdom rises, they take over the next weakest kingdom, and they gain more power, and they take the next king, and they take the next kingdom. So the people of Israel don't have a physical king. They feel like they're naked in the sense that they're unprotected because someone eventually will overtake them because they don't have any protection. When a king and his kingdom get large in this sense, they conquer... It was the ultimate game, if you will, of survival of the fittest with no international referee. 
No one's stepping in. No, there's no United Nations to say, hey, you guys, let's, let's think about a peace accord here. Let's think about something. No, if you were stronger than the next kingdom, you took them over. That is the atmosphere that the people of Israel are surrounded by. So they are desperate for, for protection. Their motives are wrong, but they want a king. The Philistines are looking next door and seeing those people, and they're ruthless. The Israelites are in a pinch. Are you feeling that pinch this morning? In their desperation for a king, they cry out to God. They cry out to Samuel, actually, the priest, and said in verse 19, set a king over us. So God says, okay, I'll give you what you asked for. I'll give you a king. And God chooses Saul. The people ask for a king, and God gives them Saul. But the people in that instance actually are not asking for just a king. They're rejecting God. Everybody in their neighborhood has a protector, have a king. They have a representative, and they don't. Have you ever been there? Can I share a story with you real quick? When I was between the ages of 20, 25, and 30, maybe 31, I would go to weddings, right? I want you to hear my heart here. And all my buddies were getting married. Don't raise your hand if you, if you, if you have this feeling. Everybody was getting married around them. Everybody's getting married around me. And at some point at those weddings, when people would jump out on the dance floor, you know, I like to cut a rug or two. When people would jump out on the, on the dance floor, I, I would sit there and it would hit me. And what's going to happen for me? Blink your eyes so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> when is it going to happen for me? And, and at some point, you, you, you think, oh, you're a guy. You're fine. No, you're not fine. You, you're, you're, you're desiring something. You hope God, is, God has that in his plans for you. 26 came, 27 came, 28, 29, 30. It's still not happening. Then at that point, old folks started to try to hook you up, which is a problem. There is real pain there. We can look back, but there's real pain there in men and in women. Because I found myself, and most of us, if you're in this situation, and the Israelites are in this situation, you find yourself somewhere between demanding from God, trying to speed up his plan, crying out to him, and then you're, you're thinking, or oh, maybe you're going to settle for something or someone. You want to help God out. You want to force somebody into your life that doesn't really belong there. And that person actually ends up being a Saul-like character, a tragic character. And you have gotten what you wanted, but that person is not ready for the role that you want them to play. Am I on somebody's couch right now? And you say to yourself, at least I have somebody. Let me remind you this morning, at least I have somebody rarely ends well. I remember thinking, man, I could use, I could really use somebody to be in my life that I was putting somebody on a pedestal that they didn't need to be on, right? Plus, nobody needed to be in my apartment anyway. I, you know, oh my gosh, my apartment back then, Lord, oh, mm. 
I, I'm nerdy, so I had sticky notes color-coded all over the walls. If you don't believe me, ask Annie. When she walked in my place the first time, she, didn't, she was like, what happened here? Oh, sticky notes, color-coded in different topics, pink, blue, orange, yellow. I can tell you, it was all over the bathroom, all over the living room, all over the dining room. That, that was how I was living. The Israelites, as the people, are in this position. But God has brought them. Here's what they forgot. Here's what they forgot. God had brought them out of Egypt. God had provided them along the way with great leadership. But they had forgotten. God had, they had forgotten that God was their Jehovah Jireh, their, their provider. They had forgotten that God was their Jehovah Shalom, their peace. They had forgotten that God was their banner. He was their cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. They had forgotten all of that. Somewhere between our demands and wishes and hopes and prayers is God's plan. This is where God meets. This is where God's grace meets us. This is where God's sovereignty resides and actually impacts our lives. Think of the thousands of years of human history, billions of human beings, leaders, peasants, wars, good and bad kings, trillions of decisions have been made by sinful people, yet God still continues to work. And I get an amen. The Israelites are, are, are forgotten all of this. God's glory is still continuing through our world today, despite all that is going on. The Israelites are looking for safety and security in all the wrong places. They want someone they can control. They want someone. They are impatient. They are blinded. The Bible says Paul was a wealthy, Saul was a wealthy man. He came from a wealthy family. And he looked good. I think this is where, you know, dark and tall, dark and handsome came from. But that's another story, Right? He looked good. He was tall. He was like all the other kings. How many of you know that God has a better plan than everybody else? Some of us desperately need God in our lives, but we settle for a God. You missed that. Some of us need God in our life, but we settle for a God. We are in deep need of a king, but we settle for a king, a counterfeit king one who just can't carry the weight of our anxieties, our hopes, our dreams, our fears, our tears, and even our joy. We are looking for safety and security in the wrong places. As I get older, and I am older, I realize that actually reading the Bible is not always to learn new things, but to be reminded of the old to be reminded of God who is faithful, to be reminded of the blessings, to be reminded of my future, to be reminded that the devil indeed loses in the end. Amen. He loses in the end. You need to be reminded, just as the Israelites forgot that God had done so many things for them, God has worked so many miracles for them. God has brought them out of slavery. He's done all of these things. All of a sudden, they get to a new, they start acting brand new. It's not acting like we, we don't, God, man, we, God, you got us through there, but I don't know if you can get us through here, you know. You, you got me from here to there, but I don't know if you can get me to the next level. Why? We need a next level person. I want you to enter Saul. Saul's a tragic character. He doesn't quite fit in the villain category, but he doesn't quite fit in the hero category as well. On the outside, like I said, he's tall, handsome, and wealthy. 
something that we all look for in leaders, by the way. Uh-oh. Something that we all look for when we interview people, if, you, if, you're, a, if you're a boss or something, it's hard for us to look past people's outward appearances. Uh-oh. Saul's lineage and wealth and appearance are all stated in the Bible. He is wealthy, tall, and handsome. Like I said, first chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Let me read this for you real quick. It says, there was a man, chapter 9, I mean chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. There was a man of Benjamin, that's his tribe, whose name, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zizor, son of Bichorah, son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulder upwards, he was taller than any of the people. Samuel warned the people of Israel about the desire for an earthly king. Samuel, by the way, is the priest who actually anoints kings. But they pressed, they pressed Samuel on wanting an earthly king, an earthly God replacement, to be like the nations. Most nations had kings that also, like I said, also served as God. What kind of leaders are we attracted to today? Who are we following? See, in Israel, they, 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 they thought that if they followed someone who was wealthy and had economic prosperity, they would be okay. If the person was good-looking, they would be a great diplomat for them. If they were tall, they represented military strength. I want you to think Goliath, right? Today, today, in the United States today, in our Western world today, we look for charismatic leaders. We look to celebrities, people with attractive features, people with attractive families, people who are successful. Let me just get on the church's couch for a minute, okay? What has that led to in the church? I'm not one to throw stones at the church because I am a part of the church, right? Saul is anointed by Samuel, but his character is informed. He has a platform before he is ready. His position doesn't match his preparation. He is wanted by the people, but he's not ready to lead the people. He has flaws that he recognizes, but he isn't humble enough to address them. He's the first king, the one who is going to set the precedent of, all, of how all kings should behave. The people of Israel really drive him, and we really want a king. They're looking at the outward appearance of the man, his riches and beauty. 1 Samuel 6.17 says this, God is appointing a second king when, 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 when David is being anointed. He says, do not look at on his appearance, on his height or stature, for God sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. The heart in that sentence, meaning the place where your integrity lies. The place that hurt when things happen. The place that your good virtues come from or your hatred or your love comes from. The heart is what God looks at. In the church today, the type of leaders we follow kind of follow that similar vein of what we, in the American church anyway, in the past 30 years or so, we have given rise to leaders who have the outward appearance almost flawless. They have the best, the best church growth strategies. They're well thought out. Their message is, follow me. I will create a perfect church. This gives rise to what Kathy Keller calls the circulation of the saints. 
Here's what she means by that, tongue-in-cheek. She's saying that we as Christians, when we find a new church with a new pastor, with a new person who, who is flashy and got it going on and all that, you know, and, and we, we tend to hop churches. We're just circulating. We're not winning new people to the Lord. It's just people leave this church, move to that church, move to that church because they see a different leader. We are all looking for a shepherd, and we're placing a, the heavy burden of leadership on individuals who aren't formed. Political analyst Yuval Levine, who is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, researches the failure of institutions in our country. And in an interview with Mike Cosper of uh, Christianity Today, he says this. He says, in this country, we now tend to have leaders who see institutions as platform for self-promotions, building, build their own follow, for building their own following and personal brand, and the fame, and fame has replaced virtue. Our institutions have departed from being places that form people we could trust to expecting them to, to display and elevate individuals on a platform. What he's trying to say is that nowadays we pick leaders based on how many people are already following them, and they're not particularly formed, and we place them on a platform, and we let them lead, and then we're surprised when they fall. You can't go a week in this country without hearing about some pastor who has fallen, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm talking about the church. I'm a part of the church. Why do we have leaders like this? Why are institutions collapsing? One reason is because we have asked for leaders who are unformed to become God-like figures. We have demanded that God give us just that. We want leaders who look like leaders, who bear fruit like leaders, act like leaders, and whose character and integrity remain unformed and immature. In rescuing the people from Egypt, when God was rescuing the people of Egypt, when he was bringing his, the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he gave them a leader. His name was Moses. He has spent 40 years, 40 years in the wilderness getting prepared for that mission. When he started bringing the people of Israel out of, out of Egypt, he had an assistant. His name was Joshua. He too spent 40 years as his assistant to take on the journey. God prepares and forms leaders. God had never left the people of Israel hanging. He had always prepared leaders for them. You can think of, like I said, Moses or Joshua or Deborah. He had, he had, he had brought people to the forefront who were prepared and able to handle the weights. But yet they still went looking for safety and security in the wrong places. When we read this passage, it said they found Saul. Saul was hiding among the baggage. That's a dude that's not ready. <laughs> I remember my, 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 my first year of college, I was playing soccer in college, and I wasn't seeing the field. I was sitting, I, I sat, let's, let's just put it out there, I was sitting on the bench. And, and at one, one time, it was my second year, one time, it was out of the blue, right? Coach said, Doe, you're going to go in. Holy smokes, I don't know what my shin guards are. Look, I'm not ready. Oh, man. <laughs> When you're not prepared, <laughs> I laugh at that today because I couldn't find my shin guards. You laugh with me. We want leaders, but God prepares leaders. One commentator says this, despite all of this, they continued their popular clamor, we want a king. And in that, in that saying, they're actually publicly rejecting Yahweh. 
they're rejecting the one who got them this far. Some of us right now are making decisions that are rejecting the God who got you this far. In my mind's eye, I can't help to look forward in the Bible. As we look forward, he says, I can just picture, you can picture this with me. A thousand years, more than a thousand years later, Jesus is standing outside of Pilate's, Pilate's house. And the crowd is before him. And you know what they're screaming? Give us Barabbas. And they're rejecting the one true king. Make that connection. They're screaming. This scene is playing over and over again like it played in the Old Testament. They're rejecting the one true king for someone who can really help them. Jesus is the one true king. There is a verse in this chapter that I, I think we ought to, to, to hone in on right now, and, and it kind of lingers out there. There are a couple places in the Bible, actually more than a couple, that a verse just kind of sits out there, like almost like a misplaced modifier in a sentence. It's just kind of hanging out there. It's just sitting out there. And it doesn't seem to fit. It's verse 27. After we read this whole story about Saul and this, it says, but some worthless fellows, in other, in other translations it says, some troublemakers said this, how can this man save us? How can this man save us? I want you to hone in on the word save right there. It's a Hebrew word, yashar. Commonly used, is commonly used all over the Old Testament to describe actually a victorious leader, a savior. In, in, a, in the verb form is save, but in a noun form it's like a deliverer, a savior or someone who rescues. So replace that and say, how can this man rescue us? How can this man save us? How can this man deliver us? This is a clue that what they're asking for is not really a king. They're asking for a savior. They're asking for someone to do the God that, job is, that God has been doing for them, but they want someone to do it that they can control. It got quiet in here. We are always looking for a hero, a savior, someone or something that can come in and change our circumstances, someone we can control but can also solve our problems. We look in the wrong places. We look at the wrong people for the wrong things. We are looking for someone who can do the job that we think can do the job that God is doing for us, but we, want, we don't want to give up anything. We want minimum responsibility in terms of obedience, but maximum in terms of the blessings. We want someone to do the job that God does, like I said, but we don't want to give that much up. The Israelites really put Saul in a the position. They want Saul to do God's job. They reject the most qualified person for someone that they can control and change. If Saul doesn't get the job done, we can get another king in there because they can control it. Saul's a tragic figure who was incapable of executing the office of savior. And some people know it. The people, the, the worthless fellows that says, so the word on the street, if you will, is that, man, Saul can't do this job. And Saul, man caught in the middle, proves to be very dishonest and prideful. But God, 
all man, but God in his ever-present, ever-expanding grace will meet you and me, will meet the Israelites where we are. The king that you have always wanted, that they have always wanted, will come and be with you. God says, I will give you a king, and he will come and be among you. He won't be handsome and tall. In fact, you won't be drawn to his appearance. The answer to this question that they're asking, how can this fellow save us? Saul can't save them. The role of Savior is way above Paul's, uh, Saul's pay grade. The Savior that God is going to send us, that God is going to send them and it's already sent, is the one who is obedient, the one who is trustworthy, with whom that you will fall in love with, but also despise. He will be the true king, the everlasting king, not the first king, but the king forever, the timeless king, the one who will reign, whose reign will never end, the one who will be fearless, yet humble, rich, yet will become poor. His name is Jesus, and all who know him will bow before him. I'm preaching, y'all, but y'all ain't hearing me this morning. The one true king that they're looking for is coming. They're impatient, waiting. When we were in the war in 1990, we were sitting in a, in a house with internally displaced people, and, and rebels would come periodically and raid all the food that we had or just uh, give people a hard time waving their guns everywhere, and we were in dire need of protection. We were in dire need of protection. I'm going to try not to cry right now. We're in dire need of protection. I can't, you can't imagine how many different rebel soldiers came into the house and raided the house and tried to, tried to, tried to take people. We used to hide people in the ceiling. This is October of 1990. And somebody had the bright idea that we should actually ask one of the rebels to come and protect us, to come and stay in the house. And he came at his AK-47. This is a man, if he would have found out that... <laughs> that I was who I was, he would have killed me. And we, we, somebody invited him into the house. And he's there offering protection. I remember he was just bossing us kids around. I'm thinking, you're not what you say you are. You don't make the, you don't, you don't, you can't set this, but you can't tell him that, right? You, you don't set the standard. You're supposed to be my protector, but you're actually taking away from me. The one fearful, the one fearless, yet humble, the one that we'll all bow to is the king of kings. If you are here today, ladies and gentlemen, I want to be expressly clear with this one. If you are searching for a savior in all the wrong places, you have come to the right place. If you are looking for a champion, you are looking for a savior, you are looking for someone to save the day, someone who does life better than you can ever do, someone to guide, someone to protect, someone who cannot lie, someone who will rescue you, you're in the right place. This is why we cannot and should not look to our pastors to be saviors. We cannot look to our politicians to be saviors. Our, in, our seemingly insatiable need for a, a king that we can see and feel and touch sometimes overtake us, and we end up getting somebody who plays God but is way below the pay grade of God.
we find ourselves just vulnerable to narcissistic leadership, people who aren't ready for power but have a platform. Jesus is our one true king. See, he has been, he, God, from the beginning of the word, the Bible said he was there. He has been prepared for this role to die for you and I for years. He's been there. Amen. He is the one true savior, ladies and gentlemen. Don't leave out of here today without surrendering. If you have not done that yet, this will be the greatest decision you will ever make because he will take the place of everything, person, or season in your life that is occupying the wrong place in your life. I'm going to close this morning with a wonderful hymn. I ain't going to sing, don't worry. Worship team's like, oh, Lord, he's about to sing. (laughs) I'm not going to sing. The hymn, the words, I want you to meditate on the words. says this. The man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God, who came ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my, my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, helpless, lost we were, were we. Blameless lamb of God was he. Sacrifice to set us free. Hallelujah, what a Savior. He was lifted up to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransom home to bring. We as Christians, ladies and gentlemen, have a king. The one true king, his name is Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can fill the shoes of king in your life. Would you bow your heads with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, your peace that surpasses all understanding. God, as you continue to work a pathway in the hearts and minds of someone in this room, would you move and show that you are the one true king? You are God. Would you welcome individuals here this morning who are searching, looking not to political parties, not to... Not to famous pastors, but looking for Jesus, looking for the suffering servant. May you find him in this week. May you find him here today. Heavenly Father, I pray that this word that was preached will, seal, will be sealed in the hearts of many here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.